Good morning, guys. Will you stand with me, please, while we read the scriptures? You want to open your Bibles or look on the screen. We're in Hebrews 10, reading verses 19 through 25. And my name is Kayla Hess. For those of you who I haven't met yet, um, I've been attending NBC for about two years now. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to have you here this morning as we open God's Word. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 because we're going to be looking at that passage this morning. Oh yeah, thank you. If you can get that for me. As we get started, I just want to make a few brief uh, comments uh, uh, or announcements. Uh, one of the things is, is that uh, we have in the lobby somebody with FCA. His name is Ken. Uh, and I heard them talking about at a, a pastor's meeting about the, the opportunities that exist for people in our church family to get involved with them. And so I asked them to come and set up a booth in the lobby. And it's really a ministry of presence. Uh, being there, just being somebody who's willing to show up uh, at the times and they have, you have to work with the, you know, the uh, FCA and they work with the school district to make sure that we're there at appropriate times. But uh, this ministry of presence is, is, is amazing that you're there for people. Uh, he told me the story about one of the coaches who, uh, you know, wasn't all that necessarily interested in spiritual things, but they just, he just kept showing up on campus and finally one day this coach called him and said, I really need to talk to you. And they began to meet together and he began to help him with some issues that he was dealing with in his life. And uh, before you knew it, he accepted Christ and three weeks ago he was baptized. And so that ministry of presence that you keep showing up for coaches and for athletes and for other students and you're just there at the times that, that, that you're allowed to do so, and you build these relationships. And so if you are somebody that's inclined to do that, that you think, man, that would be interesting. I would like to do that. I'd like to pray with a student or whatever. I encourage you to talk to him, and he'll give you a lot more detail about that. So he's there out in the lobby. I encourage you to talk to him. Um, also, uh, for Tanzania, we have a meeting after church if you're interested in just hearing more about it or if you're interested in knowing how can you go with our trip next year and next June, uh, then we're meeting in that room next to the kitchen just right through those double doors straight across from there. Uh, after church, uh, there will be some pizza and so uh, we'll talk about the, uh, uh, the ministry to Tanzania. So excited about that. And the other thing is, and this is the application of my message, I'm going to give it up front, 
is sign up for a small group. We're talking about be better together. It truly is better together to be together than to be apart, to be alone, to try to live the Christian life on our own isn't what God intended. He intended it to, for us to live together. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So now, having said those things, let's get into the text. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. And I started out with verses 24 and 25. You remember last week I talked about Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the uh, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so that, that idea, one of those key passages, they were meeting in the temple, they were also meeting house to house. And so when, usually when you hear a message on small groups, you'll hear uh, uh, somebody talk about uh, that passage. And then you'll hear somebody go to this passage, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And as, we, as I looked at this passage, I realized, you know, there's a lot more here than what I first imagined. I already had in mind where I was going with it. I had, uh, I had thought about the passage a lot in the past. And so I began, and this time, I looked at the very first word, and. It's just a little simple word, isn't it? When you see the word, and, what do you think? Oh, there must be a list. This, 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 and this, Right? And so I thought, oh, I wonder if this is part of a list. And so I looked at the words, and let us consider. And so I thought, I wonder if they used the word let us before that. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession. Verse 22, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith. And I began to realize, oh, wow, this is part of a list. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. And I looked at the things that they talked about. Let us draw near with faith. Let us hold the confession of our hope. And let us consider how to stir one another to love. Faith, hope, love. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. He talks about faith in the very next chapter, in chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the whole chapter is a chapter on faith. It's, some have called this the hall of faith. I've called it that myself. The hall of faith where you see just person after person who believed God. And I thought, huh, I wonder if the next one deals with hope. And the word hope isn't in chapter 12. I was kind of disappointed by that because it, it ruined my, little, my thought here that he's, getting, he's, getting, he's telling us what he's getting ready to talk about. He did talk about faith, but then when you read the chapter and it's this idea of endurance and, 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 and sustaining through endurance uh, the, the trials that were to come, I begin to realize he is talking about hope. He just doesn't use the word hope. And then in chapter 13, it's very first line, let brotherly love continue. Faith, hope, and love. And I thought, wait a minute. He's, he's talking, he's previewing what he's getting ready to talk about at length. And then I wondered, I wonder if he talks about what he already got through talking about in the first part of the book. And I backed up one more verse. And since we have a great priest. And I was like, oh, wow. He did. He just talked about priest. In fact, for seven chapters, he's talking about our high priest. In chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. I went, wait a minute, that's in our passage. That's right here where he says, let us, in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And I was like, oh my goodness, there's a connection here. 
And I began to realize, I think we're seeing the outline of the book in verses 19 through 25. That he's outlining the book. He says, since we've already talked about these things, we're getting ready to talk about these things. He says, because you back up to verse 19, which is the first one that we read. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is open for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest. He's talking about the great salvation that we have, which I know is in chapter 2, where he, where he begins that chapter talking about this great salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And then he talks about was first spoken by the prophets and then uh, by the Lord and then by the apostles. And you go, oh, wow. And then God also confirming with signs and wonders. And you begin to realize, wow, this is the outline of the book. This little section right here is pointing back and saying it's a review of the first two and a preview of the next. And what is he saying about it? He's saying you need to hang on to the theology of these first two things that he talks about. In fact, you look at this outline. I think I have an outline, the simple outline of the book of Hebrews. Jesus in his person, he's superior. In fact, it talks about he's superior to the angels in chapter one. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the prophets. And then you kind of, it goes as our high priest, as our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek and spend some time talking about that. And then he says, uh, he talks about the, uh, as mediator of a new covenant, says the new covenant is better than the old one. And then he's talking about the sacrifices. His sacrifice is better than all the sacrifices that were made before because his doesn't have to be repeated. His was once for all, for all sin, for all time. We don't have to go every year now and offer sacrifices for our sin on the day of atonement. He is the atonement for our sins. And so you think, wow, this whole book is very what's called Christological. It's talking about Christ. And it's saying based on who Jesus is in his person and in his work, in who he is as, as our Savior, who he is as our priest, let us do these things. And that's something that you notice in a lot of books in the New Testament, especially. Where it tell, gives you the first half of the book talking about theology. And the second half giving application. We've got to think correctly in order to live correctly. And you see that in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters dealing with theology. And then uh, uh, the last three chapters dealing with application. You see that in the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters dealing with theology. And then 12 to 16 dealing with here's how we shall then live. And we see the same thing with the author of Hebrews here. We don't know who he is. But we know that this author starts off and he tells us about who Jesus is and what our focus needs to be on him as our savior, on him as the one that his blood and, and by his flesh, he saved us. And it allowed us with confidence to enter the holy place. And you think about what is that, those holy places, the holy of holies in the holy place where the priests only could enter. And now we have confidence to enter into those places. What was in the Holy of Holies? It was the Ark of the Covenant between the wings of the cherubim and the manifest presence of God. And in that day, the high priest could only go in once a year into that room. And the, if you remember when Jesus died, the veil was torn. And now it says, the author of Hebrews, we have confidence to enter the holy places, why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Into the very presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. And we have confidence to do that. 
And he says, because we have that confidence and because he's our continuing high priest, he says, let us do these things. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, that idea of this confession of hope, that this, the, 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 the body of truth that we believe. Let's hang on to those things. He's already talked about that body of truth earlier in the book. He talks about the word of God in chapter 4. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so the word of God, it penetrates us. It's intended to penetrate us. It's intended to penetrate our thoughts and everything about us. And here's the deal. We need to respond. We, we, God doesn't want to penetrate our hearts and then we just kind of go, uh, where we go for lunch, right? He wants us to let us impact our faith. Let us impact our hope. Let us impact our love by the word of God and what it expresses to us about Jesus because we know our Savior better. And you think, wow, that's really powerful. When I was going through this, I started in 25 and that one little observation and just know the context is always important. And we have little structural markers that point us back in that direction. And this one is and. And let us used three times. And since used twice. And verse 19 beginning with therefore. It's a conclusion. This is a major section he's beginning in the book. It's the third major section. And he does with this one little section. He reviews what we just learned about. And then he previews what he wants us to do. And so we come to verse 24. And with this little and it says, and let us consider. Now I'm going to tell you what the main idea of this message is in one statement. And it is this, consider one another. Think about that. Consider one another. Who do we normally consider? Ourselves, right? We normally think about ourselves. When we walk into a room, when you walked into the room today, were you thinking, wow, I wonder who God wants me to impact here? Or did you come in the room and go, I hope there's something here for me? Right? We, I mean, I'm not trying to judge. or we, So many times we come into a room and, and we have need. We, we're struggling or we have certain things. We want to meet with God or whatever it is. And those are all good things. Not putting those down at all. But, but uh, I say Paul. Uh, so many people think Paul wrote this book. The book of Hebrews. I'm not so convinced of that. But whoever wrote it is saying we need to consider one another. We need to take that, that idea of consideration. That idea of consideration is the idea of, of, of uh, thinking about somebody else. Thinking about uh, and, and, and pondering, meditating on what your needs are rather than my own. So my question is, and an application uh, to this is, where have you done that this week and where are you going to do that tomorrow? I would encourage you to take some time to think about it. I, I uh, this week had some opportunities to, to, to think about how can I help someone else? And, it, and there's a sense of, uh, of encouragement that you find as you begin to, to think about somebody else's life rather than your own. 
I had a friend that uh, called me and said, hey, do you know we have a mutual friend that just got diagnosed with cancer? So I called our friend. And I talked to him on the phone and I just asked, what can I pray for you for? How are you feeling? How's, how's it going? And I began to ask these questions about his life rather than my own. I wasn't worried about talking about my life at that moment. I was, I was concerned about him. We have those opportunities. I had somebody share with me uh, uh, just this morning uh, as a result of the message that they uh, went and, and uh, uh, as a nurse uh, had, had bought a, uh, I think a Diet Coke. And they were going to give it to their friend who liked Diet Cokes. And their friend already had a Diet Coke sitting on their station or on their desk. And so they're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll give it to this other person. They gave it to this other person, this other nurse, and, then, and the person came to them and said, uh, I have been clean for two years, and today's the anniversary of that, and what's helped me do that is these Diet Cokes, and you giving me that just meant the world to me. And I was just like, wow. You know, Jesus, one of the things that was said about him is he went about doing good. He just went about doing good. He went about just loving people. Yeah, he, he did a lot of other things as well. But one of the things that he did is he went about doing good. And I think we're never more like our Savior than when we're sharing who he is. But then when we just go about doing good for people, reaching out. I know I had the opportunity yesterday to go and, and uh, help do some cleanup with the uh, Mansfield Cemetery. I think we mentioned it last week. The Mansfield Cemetery is one that's not a perpetual care cemetery. There have been some people that made a commitment, uh, you know, 50 years ago that they would keep up this cemetery, right? Well, guess what? They grew old. And there was nobody else that came along behind and said, hey, we'll pick up the mantle. And, and so they're, they're struggling to keep it up. And so uh, some of the churches knew about this. In fact, uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church actually bought part of the uh, cemetery. They bought the black part of the cemetery uh, where, where uh, 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 all these graves. And there used to be a fence between the black part of the cemetery and the white part. And that's been torn up. It's been torn away. And so now it's just one cemetery, which is a blessing. And, and so here's this idea of this, this one cemetery, and they, they bought part of it. And, but it's really on their heart because of that one part to have all of the cemetery cleaned up. And so as mayor, he said, hey, let's, you know, if there's churches that want to get involved, let's do it. And so, you know, I was, I was representing our church and others too. And, and so we went out, and, and, we, and, and it was part of just this joy of serving together. This joy of serving our community and, and, and together with other churches and, and communicating just our love for one another and this idea of unity together. And, it, and it, meant, it meant so much not only to those who had made a commitment over 50 years ago, but to other different leaders in our town who, who had just touched their hearts that, that we were there to serve. And so we talked, uh, uh, Michael Evans talked a little bit about just that unity that, that's brought about in our community as we serve together. And it's amazing how when you just love on your community, how powerful and impactful that is. And we just never know when we're going to have that kind of impact. And so we go about doing things and and sometimes we do it and we don't hear anything about it and we don't know what the result is. And other times, like this friend who gave the Coke to the other person, all of a sudden you hear immediately and you see the hand of God at work. Because she didn't know. 
She didn't know that her friend was, was struggling with that and, and that, that needed that encouragement at that moment. And, and, and I just, and I think, you know, we never know. But God knows. And whenever we do something like that and we just so happen to give it to this other person, it just so happens that they're going through something. I say so happens in quotes, right? Air quotes. Because it's not so happened. You see the hand of God leading you and guiding you to minister to people and to love our world for him. And when we do, it brings glory to God. We've been reading through the book of Ezekiel, Susan and I doing the uh, uh, Bible recap. And one of the things that it keeps talking about is the glory of God. That, and, and even in the reading that we did this morning about that it, it wasn't for their sake. But it was for the sake of the glory of God. We have an incredible God who deserves all the glory in heaven and on earth. And we want to draw attention to him. We want his name to be praised. Nobody's going to know who I am 100 years from now. I want people to know that we have a God who loves them, that cares deeply about them, and that even in the small things gives what I call I love you gifts. That's what I see that Coke was. It was just an I love you from the Lord and uh, done through the hand of somebody serving someone else and just, and just loving on our world. And you think, let us consider how to stir one another to love. Yeah, there's also the good works and you see that idea of good works and that's tied in there. But stirring one another to love, stirring up one another to think about others. Stirring one another, because the love there doesn't say love only of people. In fact, as Susan and I were talking about this, she kind of mentioned, you know, she said, um, wonder if it's love of God as well. And you look at the passage, it's stir up one another to love. It doesn't say stir, stir love for one another. And so is this the great commandment included in this? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. I think it may be may be in mind here. That we stir one another to love others, that we stir one another to love God, to trust God. In the, in the darkest times, in the times that we struggle, that we, we, we stir one another to love God. I was talking to somebody in the lobby that's going through a, a tough time. And they said a friend of theirs told them that God is good. And everything he does is always good because that's who he is. And found great encouragement from that. And I found encouragement from hearing that. And being reminded of that myself. But also hearing that another believer was encouraging this believer. Which is exactly what this passage is talking about. That we express this kind of love for one another. That we stir one another up. Now it's interesting because the, the phrase stir up, oh, that's positive, right? There are some that, that talks about provoke. Uh, I think the New American Standard uses the word provoke one another. And you think, oh, provoke, that's a I like the stir up, right? The provoke when I, I don't. The, I, I, so I, I looked it up in the, uh, in the Greek dictionaries and I was looking at the different words that could have been chosen. One is irritate. <laughs> oh, wow. I know why they didn't choose that for the translation, right? irritate one another to love although I was thinking you know there's times where we have to put the friendship on the line there's times where we have if we're talking to somebody about about their life we have to say the hard thing speaking the truth in love right it means that we say the hard thing whether they respond or not we can't control 
And there's been times where I've realized I've got to put, put my friendship on the, on the line with this person and they may never like me again. They may never speak to me again. But if I'm going to speak the truth in their life, I have to say this. And I think that having said that, we got to trust the book of Proverbs, right? The book of Proverbs says a fool says things this way and a wise person says things this way. There's the wrong way to say things, even the truth. We need to speak the truth in love. And so there's that guiding element there. But we need to speak the truth and we need to irritate one another to love and good works. I think I do that quite a bit on Sunday mornings, right? In the sermon. Irritate. I'm sure there's some Sundays where you go away irritated with me, ticked off at me, ticked off at whoever's speaking on Sunday morning, and you're like, I'm ticked. Good. Praise God. Ticked to the glory of God, right? <laughs> Especially if it transforms you. That's why I think that it's crucial and if I can say it even more strongly, impossible to grow to become like Christ on your own. God has given each of us spiritual gifts, right? Do you have all the gifts? No. Neither do I. Probably the only one that might have had all the spiritual gifts, Jesus. Might, probably did. The rest of us, we're given, you're given a few gifts, you're given a few gifts, you're given a few gifts. And, and God's intended your gift to be used for the body and given your gift to be used for the body and your gift to be used for the body. It's for all of us. And so as you exercise that gift, maybe it's the gift of giving and you give. And as you give, it stirs somebody else because they have this mentality of, of maybe not giving so much and then you're so generous, they go, oh wow, this, this really stirs me to want to give more. Somebody else has the gift of evangelism and, and they're sharing their faith. They come back and talk about how they shared their faith with somebody and go, wow, I've got somebody I need to share with and that just encouraged me because I don't have that gift. I need you exercising your gift. You need me exercising mine. And as we exercise our gifts together, the Spirit of God who gave those gifts is stirring our hearts and stirring the hearts of his body that would never happen if we stayed on our own. When I was in college, uh, after I came to Christ, to be honest with you, I was ticked about the church, the church at large, not any particular church, just the church at large. I thought, why did I not find Christ in my church? I grew up in a church. Now, I didn't go every week, right? I was one of these ones that went maybe once a month. I went, as, when I got older, whenever I was assigned to be an acolyte. I was in a church where I was baptized as an infant and then I um, later was, uh, uh, went through confirmation. Uh, I, I, I learned how to, to wear the robes and the belts, you know, the, the rope belt and, and carried the flag or carried the cross or, or carried something else, uh, uh, sometimes a thurible with the incense in it for the, for the priest. And, and so all these different things. I had memorized the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and, and the Lord's Prayer and, and a lot of other stuff, but I didn't know Jesus. And I didn't know, we didn't use our Bible, so I didn't know where the books of the Bible were. I didn't know much about the Bible, except for occasionally, we, I mean, each week we would read a passage out of it, but that was about it. No explanation of the Scripture. And so when I came to Christ, I was ticked at the church. And I thought, the church is not cutting it. This parachurch organization I'm involved in is. And so they've got it together. 
and I was done with the church. So on Sunday mornings, after I came to Christ, uh, I would spend time studying God's word. It was just like my mentality was me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit were good. And then as I was studying my Bible, I came across the fact of the church. And the question came up, who created the church? Um, God did, right? It's his creation. The church was his idea. With all these broken people and all the imperfections and no perfect church, you can look around. Some people have traveled and changed from church to church and they found no perfect church because it doesn't exist as long as people are a part of it because we're all broken, right? And as long as as we have humans as pastors because we're broken too. And so I began to realize the church is God's idea. And what does scripture say about the church? The church is the bride of Christ. Hmm. So I had this poor view of the church. I talked ill of the church. Now think about it. Bride of Christ. I'm speaking ill of the bride of Christ. I'm speaking ill of the bride of Christ when I complain and gripe about the church. What if I spoke ill of your bride? What if I spoke ill of your husband? What is that going to do in my relationship with you? Not good, right? So how does it impact my relationship with the Lord if I'm saying, I hate your bride, I love you, you're wonderful, your bride stinks, right? And I realized I have a faulty view of the church. The body of Christ is the church as well. When you think about that, how can I love Jesus and hate his body? And I realize there's a connection there. I can't dismiss the church. And in fact, the church is his creation and it's for my good, it's for our good. And as we come to the church, the Holy Spirit works among us as you're exercising your gift in us, I'm exercising mine. And and we grow up into him which is what Ephesians 4 talks about. We grow to maturity in Christ. And even the, the author of Hebrews says, don't miss maturity in chapters 5 and beginning into verse 6. You need to grow to maturity into him. And so you go back and you think, I need to rethink what I think about the church because it's his bride. And we sang about that. He's coming back for us. He's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride of which we're a part. And so if I don't come, which is exactly what he goes on to say, he says, I'm not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. Now, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about missing church occasionally? Is he talking about missing church during the COVID period? What is he talking about here? You see, you have to understand the whole the, uh, uh, argument of the whole book and the argument of the whole book is don't leave behind Jesus and go back to the law because Jesus is better if you want one line for the book of Hebrews Jesus is better that's it 
If you remember that, you'll remember kind of the structure of the book. Jesus is better than the, as we mentioned before, the angels, the, the apostles, I mean, or the prophets. He's better than Moses, the giver of the law. He's, he's a better priest. He's, he's got a better covenant. It's a better sacrifice. Everything's better in Jesus. Don't go back. Don't forsake the church. And that's what he's talking about here. Don't forsake the church. In fact, the word that he uses there of neglect is that idea of don't forsake. Don't forsake the church. Don't give up on the church. I had given up on the church when I was in college. I had forsaken the church. And I read passages like this and I went, wow, I can't give up on the church. The church is God's idea. I need to come along and I need to be the person that walks in the room and and doesn't make the focus about me. In fact, I heard somebody, and I've shared this before, that there's two kinds of people that walk in the door. Those who walk in and say, here I am. And those who walk in the door and say, there you are. And that's what the author is telling us to do. Consider one another. Don't consider yourself. It's easy to consider yourself. You're already doing that all the time. Take a moment to consider one another. So you think about these people in need. You think about these people when you walk up to them and go, you know what, I've been praying for you this week. And what, can, how, what, what, what do you need? Or, or uh, here's what I've thought about. Or here's some money. Or, or whatever it is that you feel like the Lord's led you to do to, to stir them up, to help them to think, you know what? God loves you. We're, you're going to get through this. Whatever it is that, uh, and we're, we're in this together. You're not alone. I mean, all these different things. Because God intended better together. In fact, even at the very beginning of the, of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 1, God has said, the end of day 1, it is good. And he created day 2, it is good. Day 3, it is good. Day 4, it is good. Day 5, it is good. It goes through there every day saying it is good. And then in chapter 2, he says, it is not good. And it really stands out because you've seen all this. It is good, it is good. What do you mean it's not good? What's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. Alone is not good. And Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. So together is good, together is better. And it's this idea here, and that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. It's it's better together. Because the life in Jesus that we're getting ready to talk about in chapters 11, 12, and 13 are incredibly better than a life lived under the law. And that's what he wants us to understand. Together is better. And so we need to come together. It's almost like if we don't come together, it's like a football player saying, you know what, I don't want to come to practice anymore, so I'm not coming. I know that's where the coaches coach us up so that we can play the game. I just want to play the game. I don't want to go to practice. And then he shows up for the game and he fails. And he wonders why. As believers in Christ, when we come together, that's practice. That's allowing the coach, which is the Holy Spirit, to invest in our lives through one another. And as he does that, it prepares us for those very difficult things that we face in life. It it prepares us for when we go out into the world and we're impacted by the world and we're not changed by the world. We hold fast our confession. We grow in faith because we've stirred up one another. Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. 
That idea of encouragement is the parakaleo, the come alongside, that we, we come alongside one another, that we call those to our side. Hey, come over here. What can I do for you? Not come over here. What can you do for me? Because we're focused on them, right? We're considering one another, as the passage says. The day is drawing near. Which day? We see in verse 37, he says, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. We sang about that in our first song this morning. Remember, Jesus is coming soon. How, when is soon, right? I'd kind of like it to be today, right? I'd like, I'd like it to be sooner than what it seems to be. And we think, well, it's been 2,000 years. It must be about now. And we see what's happening in our world, and we think it must be happening now. When we think about what's happening in our country, and we think it must be happening. We see Afghanistan becoming the 30th, uh, 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 in the top 30 of world nations of, of, of military might because of stuff that was left. And you look at all this stuff, and you think, all these things happening. It's got to be soon. And yet, we also know that if God waits, if he delays, it's for our good. Because he is good. And it could be another thousand years. In fact, I heard somebody recently say, well, you know, we think 2,000 years. But if a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, then just two days. In his time frame, it's not that long. And so we need to ask ourselves, Am I ready for today? Am I encouraging one another with the fact that our Lord is coming back? He's coming back to get us. He's coming back for his bride, which is what we sang about too, that, that he's coming for his bride. He's, he's one to be with us. The church is his bride. He's coming for us. And we need to encourage one another with those words that he's coming back, and until then, we will serve him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, with all our strength. We will love him. We'll love our neighbors, ourselves. We'll demonstrate the love of Christ. We'll go about doing good. We'll consider one another's needs and help one another grow in love. And in doing so, we'll become more like Christ and we'll grow in our own love as well. When I think about the people in our lives. And I think about, you know, there's, there's really a couple of different kinds of people in our lives. Those who, who encourage us and those who come and, and all they want is they need something. And what happens is we'll have those seasons where we have need, but we need to be those people that, I don't want to be that person that comes into your life and only has need. And so you go away, always feel kind of sapped of your strength. I want to be one of those people that invest in your life. And that when, you, when you're around me, you get excited about Tanzania. You get excited about the Lord. You get excited about the Lord coming back. I want to be that guy. I want to be that person that invests in your life and encourages you. And I, and I encourage you to be the same. And as we do that together, we'll experience the joy of the Lord being our strength. We'll, in, we'll, in, we'll experience the the way the body, the body of Christ is intended to work. That we consider one another. To stir up or irritate one another. To love and good works. We'll gather together because we know that that's important. We'll encourage one another. 
And we'll remind each other that Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And we pray that you would help us to be the kind of person that the author of Hebrews is talking about. That we would be that person. And Lord, I pray that you would stir up our hearts in that regard. I pray that this morning that our hearts would be stirred. Father, I pray that there would be those who, who join a small group so that they can invest in other people's lives. Not just for themselves, but for others. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be that person. That when people walk away, they feel excited about you first and foremost. They feel excited about Jesus. And they're inclined more to trust you more. To walk in faith. That they'll be more inclined not only to draw near to you, but to cling to, to hold fast to the confession of their hope. That they'll be stirred up in love. Lord, help us to live that way in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would grow us in you. Thank you for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.